Good morning. I invite you to turn to Genesis chapter 26. Genesis chapter 26, and I'm going to read verses, uh, from verse 34 all the way to chapter 27, verse 40. Holy Scripture says, when Esau was 40 years old, he took Judith, the daughter of Beri, the Hittite, to be his wife, and Basemath, the daughter of Elam, the Hittite, and they made life bitter for Isaac and Rebekah. When Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see, he called Esau, his older son, and said to him, my son. And he answered, Here I am. He said, Behold, I am old. I do not know the day of my death. Now then, take your weapons, your quiver and your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me, and prepare for me delicious food such as I love, and bring it to me so that I may eat, that my soul may bless you before I die. Now Rebekah was listening when Isaac spoke to his son Esau, so when Esau went to the field to hunt for game and bring it, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau, bring me game and prepare for me delicious food that I may eat it and bless you before the Lord before I die. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice as I command you. Go to the flock and bring me two good young goats so that I may prepare from them delicious food for your father such as he loves. You shall bring it to your father to eat so that he may bless you before he dies. But Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, Behold, my brother Esau is a hairy man, and I am a smooth man. Perhaps my father will feel me, and I shall seem to be mocking him and bring a curse upon myself and not a blessing. His mother said to him, Let your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice and go bring them to me. So he went and took them and brought them to his mother, and his mother prepared delicious food, such as his father loved. Then Rebekah took the best garments of Esau, her older son, which were with her in the house, and put them on Jacob, her younger son, and the skins of the young goats she put on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck. And she put the delicious food and the bread which she had prepared into the hand of her son Jacob. So he went into his father and said, My father... And he said, Here I am. Who are you, my son? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Now sit up and eat of my game, that your soul may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, How is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? He answered, Because the Lord your God granted me success. Then Isaac said to Jacob, Please come near that I may feel you, my son, to know whether you are really my son Esau or not. So Jacob went near to Isaac, his father, who felt him and said, The voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him. He said, Are you really my son Esau? He answered, I am. Then he said, Bring it near to me that I may eat of my son's game and bless you. So he brought it near to him, and he ate, and he brought him wine, and he drank. 
Then his father Isaac said to him, Come near and kiss me, my son. So he came and kissed him. And Isaac smelled the smell of his garments and blessed him and said, See, the smell of my son is as the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you of the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. Let peoples serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you and blessed be everyone who blesses you. As soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, when Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac, his father, Esau, his brother, came in from his hunting. He also prepared delicious food and brought it to his father. And he said to his father, Let my father arise and eat of his son's game that you may bless me. His father Isaac said to him, Who are you? He answered, I am your son, your firstborn, Esau. Then Isaac trembled very violently and said, Who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me, and I ate it all before you came, and I have blessed him? Yes, and he shall be blessed. As soon as Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me, even me also, O my father. But he said, Your brother came deceitfully, and he has taken away your blessing. Esau said, Is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has cheated me these two times. He took away my birthright, and behold, now he has taken away my blessing. Then he said, Have you not reserved a blessing for me? Isaac answered and said to Esau, Behold, I have made him Lord over you, and all his brothers I have given to him for servants, and with grain and wine I have sustained him. What then can I do for you, my son? Esau said to his father, Have you but one blessing? My father, bless me, even me also, O my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. Then Isaac his father answered, and said to him, Behold, away from the fatness of the earth shall your dwelling be, and away from the dew of heaven on high. By your sword you shall live, and you shall serve your brother. But when you grow restless, you shall break his yoke from your neck. This is the word of God, and it is for our good. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks for your perfect and sometimes very unexpected word that instructs us and counsels us and transforms us. And Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would take this this passage and press it upon our hearts, transform our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. I titled this sermon, The Blessing Stands. The divine blessing stands in spite of human weakness, human wickedness, human folly. God's blessing stands upon his redeemed people in spite of their severe 
imperfections and serious flaws. As long as you think that the blessing of God is given to those who deserve it, to those who are squeaky clean, to those who are good enough, then you don't understand grace. If you are attempting to make sure that you dot every I and cross every T in an attempt to win God's favor, then you are chasing God's favor in vain. God bestows His blessing upon those who don't deserve it, and sometimes those who receive God's blessing make it spectacularly clear that they do not deserve it, but the blessing still comes. And to, to, to look at this from a, a, a little different angle, we often want our real-life heroes, especially our heroes of the faith, to be perfect. We know that they aren't, but we would like them to appear perfect. We don't want our heroes to have major flaws, and yet all of our heroes have some flaws, and some of our heroes have egregious flaws. And when we live in the illusion that our heroes must be perfect, but then we eventually find out that they aren't, that can be devastating. And we might be tempted to belittle them or cancel them. But we need to be careful because Scripture makes it clear that each and every one of us is flawed. There is, in fact, only one perfect hero, Jesus the righteous one. Everyone else is a mixed bag in terms of character and moral conduct. And this doesn't mean that things are so complicated that we can't differentiate a faithful man from an unfaithful man, even in the context of Genesis chapters 25 to 35, we understand that Jacob is presented as a faithful man and Esau as an unfaithful man. Nevertheless, in this particular passage, the faithful ones, Isaac, Rebekah, and Jacob, do not come off looking very good. We would have wanted a courageous and resilient Isaac with eyes wide open, with all things in clear view and hearty faith in God to bestow the blessing on the right son, namely on Jacob. And we would have wanted Jacob to, to be present humbly before his father and to receive the blessing that was to be given to him honestly and honorably. And yet, there is blindness, deceit, hesitation, confusion. The right man does get the blessing, but by accident. Except accident is too weak a word. The right man gets the blessing, but by trickery and deceit. But for all that, the right man did get the blessing. Yes, and he shall be blessed. Now, let's walk through the passage, uh, which I see unfolding in six parts. Okay, first, Esau makes a poor choice in wives at the end of chapter 26. And we'll have, to put, uh, we'll have to put to the side the fact that Esau had multiple wives, two wives in this passage, and then a third uh, a little bit later on, and maybe someday we'll unpack a biblical view of polygamy. But for now, what we need to understand is that the reason Esau's two Hittite wives 
made life bitter for Isaac and Rebekah is because they were Hittites. They were Canaanites. And the primary issue here is that it was important to Isaac and Rebekah that their sons find wives within their extended kinship group. You can see this by looking at the end of chapter 27. In verse 46, it says, Then Rebekah said to Isaac, I loathe my life because of the Hittite women. If Jacob marries one of the Hittite women like these, one of the women of the land, what good will my life be to me? Then Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and directed him, You must not take a wife from the Canaanite woman. Arise, go to Padan Aram, to the house of Bethuel, your mother's father, and take as your wife from there one of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. Remember, Abraham married his half-sister, Sarah. In due course, Abraham took initiative to find his son Isaac, a wife, and Abraham gave very clear instructions to his servant that he was not to find a wife for Isaac from among the Canaanites, but that he was to go to his extended family. And thus, Isaac entered into marriage with Rebekah, his first cousin once removed. And eventually, Jacob would marry his cousins, Leah and Rachel. Esau, however, broke with family tradition and did his own thing. And this gets to the heart of Esau's problem. I've already talked about it in previous sermons. Esau walked away from his family's heritage and his family's mission, whereas Jacob proved to be a faithful steward of his family's legacy. Esau was a wayward son, and it brought grief upon his parents. By way of application, it should be noted that the New Testament does not require Christian believers to marry within their own ethnic clan or tribe. The New Testament does require that a Christian man marry a Christian woman, or that a Christian woman marries a Christian man, were to marry within the faith. And also, the Old and New Testament both require that we must strive to honor our parents. Mature and thoughtful Christians will be very slow to enter into marriage against the wishes of their parents, especially if their parents are believers. Moving on to verses 1 to 4 from chapter 27. Isaac is on the cusp of giving the covenant blessing to the wrong son. Although uh, prob probably 30 or 40 years passed from the end of chapter 26 to the beginning of chapter 27, maybe Isaac's around 140 years old, and he would actually go on to live until the ripe age of 180. So he, he still got another four decades of life in front of him. Nevertheless, he felt old, and in one sense he was old, being around maybe 140. He was in declining health. His eyesight was failing. He was advanced in years, and he felt like death might visit him at any time. And so he wanted to fulfill his responsibility to pass on the covenant blessing to one of his sons before he died. And that's all well and good, but the fact that he was prepared to give the covenant blessing to the wrong son is a huge problem. It is unthinkable 
that the covenant blessing should be entrusted to the wrong son. Isaac is not in proper alignment with the Lord's will. We know, first of all, that the Lord had revealed to Rebekah back in chapter 25, verse 23, that the younger son, who proved to be Jacob, that the younger son would hold a position of honor and strength over his older brother, that being Esau. Rebekah knew that Jacob was the honored son, the son and proper heir of the covenant. And this reality is in the background of Genesis 25, 28, which says Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. And as I said a few weeks ago, that verse is not about parenting 101. Instead, it reveals that Rebekah was in sync with the Lord's plan to bless Jacob, but that Isaac was out of sync with the Lord's plan. And part of Isaac's problem may well have been that he had a weakness for food. I, I mean, what does it say in chapter 25, verse 28? Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game. And what do we see in chapter 27, verses 3 and 4? Go out to the field and hunt game for me and prepare for me delicious food such as I love and bring it to me so that I may eat. Isaac loved food. And Esau loved food. <laughs> they had that in common. Esau sold his birthright for a single meal. There's nothing wrong with the enjoyment of food, but when our love for food or other physical comforts clouds our judgment and dulls our perception, that is a real problem. Isaac really should have known better than to bless Esau. First, it seems unlikely that Rebekah would not have shared with Isaac the word, the clear word that she had heard from the Lord. Second, it should have been obvious to Isaac that Esau was not a fit steward of the family's God-given mission. He definitely knew about Esau's choice in wives, for those wives brought grief into his life. He probably knew that Esau had sold his birthright to Jacob, and aside from those obvious character defects, the fact of the matter is that a person's character is revealed throughout every facet of life. It says in Hebrews chapter 12 that Esau was an immoral and unholy man, and that should have been evident to Isaac. I suspect that when chapter 27 verse 1 tells us that Isaac's eyes were dim, his physical eyes aren't the only eyes in view. There are distortions and blind spots in Isaac's spiritual perception. Faithful Isaac is a flawed hero. The bottom line in verses 1 to 4 is that there's a serious tension between the, the, the son that Isaac intends to bless and the son that God had revealed should receive the covenant blessing. How's that going to be resolved? Well, while Isaac's eyes were failing, Rebekah's ears were not failing. And so let's move to the third section, verses 5 to 17, where Rebekah initiates a deceptive scheme to get the right son blessed. After Esau began his hunting expedition, Rebekah was urgent and earnest in devising a plan to get Jacob blessed instead of Esau. Esau was going to get wild game. Jacob was to bring young goats from the flock. 
Esau was going to prepare a delicious meal, Rebekah would prepare a delicious meal from the young goats, from the flock. Uh, Esau was going to take the meal that he had made to his father, and now Jacob was going to take the meal that Rebekah made to his father. Esau was to receive his father's blessing, but now Jacob was supposed to beat Esau to the punch pretend to be Esau and obtain the blessing in Esau's place. And in order to play the part, Jacob was clothed in Esau's garments and the skins of the animals was put on his smooth skin to make it seem like he was Esau who was hairy. Now, how how shall we describe Rebekah's scheme? Uh, Her end goal to get Jacob blessed is right but her tactics to achieve that goal are wrong. And we are familiar with the question, do the ends justify the means? In fact, the ends do not justify the means. But we need to be honest about the fact that Rebecca does have the right ends. But deceit is not a good way to obtain the promised blessing. Deceiving your aging blind husband, leading your son to deceive his aging blind father, and getting this aging blind patriarch to execute official covenant business under false pretenses is not good. Spiritually speaking, it is not good, and in some legal contexts, such conduct conduct might land you in jail. Now, it would have been much better for Rebecca to speak frankly, openly, and honestly with Isaac about the serious mistake that Isaac was about to make. Many years later, a certain Queen Esther would would, uh, approach the king courageously on behalf of the Lord's covenant people. And in this context, Rebekah would have done well to plead with her husband on behalf of the covenant heir that the Lord had chosen. And she should have done so prayerfully and trusting the Lord with the outcome. But alas... She resorted to trickery, and she drew her son into it. The words that Rebekah speaks to Jacob, obey my voice as I command you in verse 8, and in verse 13, only obey my voice. Those are sobering and troubling words in this context. Remember, only in in very recent chapters, we, we have heard Abraham commended because he obeyed Abraham's voice. I'm sorry, because he obeyed God's voice. And what got Adam into trouble back in chapter 3 is that he didn't listen to God's voice, but instead listened to the voice of his wife. And so Jacob, who is a grown man, perhaps around 70 years old at this point, he ought to think very carefully before obliging his mother's instructions. And you can tell that Jacob's conscience is uneasy as he contemplates the possibility that his scheme would be, would be uh, exposed and that he would be seen to be mocking his father and bring a curse upon himself instead of a blessing. But Rebekah is undeterred and is resolved to save her son, even if it proves costly. Let your curse be on me, my son. Verse 13. We may honor Rebecca for pursuing the right ends. She is seeking to put Jacob in the place of blessing, which is 
his rightful place according to God's promise, and she is keeping her husband from committing a grave error. At the same time, we do not honor her for her underhanded methods. Faithful Rebecca is a flawed hero. Fourth, moving to verses 18 to 25, Jacob implements the deceptive scheme to get himself blessed. As Rebecca had commanded, so Jacob performs in verses 14 to 17. He had already taken the young goats to Rebekah, allowed himself to be clothed with deceptive apparel, and received the delicious food and bread that his mother had prepared. And now he implements the plan and actually goes to his father in verse 18. And much of what we said about Rebekah could also be said about Jacob, that he's pursuing the right ends but in the wrong way. Jacob, Jacob probably knows about the promise spoken to Rebekah that he is the covenant son. Furthermore, he had previously purchased the right of the firstborn from Esau. And after seven decades of life, it must have been obvious to Jacob that his brother Esau was simply not the sort of man who was going to carry on the family legacy and the family mission. Unfortunately, he was willing to lie and to mislead in order to obtain the prize. The lies are on full display in verse 19 when Jacob says to his, fa uh, when Jacob says to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Now sit up and eat of my game that your soul may bless me. While Jacob has obtained the right of the firstborn, he is not Esau, and he has not done as his father told him, because in point of fact, his father hadn't given him any instruction. In fact, he was following the instructions of his mother. Then in verse 20, Jacob adds spiritual decorations to his lie. Isaac wonders how it is that his son had found the wild game so quickly, and Jacob says, because the Lord your God granted me success. There is nothing quite like bringing pious God talk into your fleshly schemes. In verses 21 to 23, Isaac is hesitant and uncertain. Isaac detects that the voice speaking to him is Jacob's voice. But he also feels the goat skins that were covering Jacob's hands and infers that the hands are Esau's hands. And the goat skins on Jacob's hands did the trick, right? It says, verse, in verse 23, he, and he did not recognize him, meaning that Isaac did not recognize that the man in front of him was actually Jacob, but was persuaded that the man in front of him was Esau on account of his hairy hands. And because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands, so he blessed him. In verse 24, Jacob reaffirms the earlier lie. Isaac asked him, are you really my son Esau? And Jacob replied, I am. And then in verse 25, Isaac invites Jacob to bring him the meal, and he eats and is now ready to bless his son. Like his father and mother, faithful Jacob is a flawed hero. Fifth, moving to verses 26 to 29. Isaac unintentionally blesses the right son under a cloud of deception. Isaac, not recognizing Jacob and thinking that the son before him was Esau, proceeds to bless the son whom he thought was Esau. It would have been a sweet moment between 
father and son if there, if there was no deception involved, no misunderstanding involved. But anyway, at his father's invitation, Jacob comes near to his father and kisses him. And Isaac smells the smell of his garments. They smell like Esau's garments because they are Esau's garments. And Isaac thinks that the man wearing those garments is Esau. Isaac made this observation. See, the smell of my son is as the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. And then Isaac blessed this son in three particular ways. First, Isaac granted this son abundant provision and plentiful substance. May God give you of the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. Second, Isaac exalted this son as Lord over his brothers and as Lord over many peoples. Let peoples serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. And third, Isaac bestowed on this son the mantle of Abraham. Cursed be everyone who curses you, and blessed be everyone who blesses you. That takes us right back to Genesis chapter 12, when the Lord told Abraham, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you, I will curse. God appointed Abraham to be his special representative. If you bless and honor God's appointed leader, then you are on the path of blessing. But if you curse or dishonor God's appointed leader, then you are on the path of rejection and condemnation. Now this son that Isaac is blessing in verse 29 will function as God's special representative on earth. Isaac thought that he was conferring these blessings on Esau, but in fact he was conferring these blessings on Jacob. But as we learned earlier in Genesis chapter 25, It was indeed God's sovereign will to confer these blessings upon Jacob. And so Isaac unintentionally blessed the right son under a cloud of deception. Finally, moving to verses 30 to 40, Esau seeks the blessing with tears, but to no avail. These these verses are very sobering and saturated with great emotion. By the time that Isaac had finished blessing Jacob and Jacob had departed from his father's presence, Esau came in from his hunting and prepared the delicious meal and brought it to his father. And we know, as we're reading along, we know this is not going to go well. Isaac had only instructed one son to hunt game, prepare him a meal, and receive a blessing. And now a second son shows up. What is going on? Esau says in verse 31, let my father arise and eat of his son's game that you may bless me. Isaac asked, who are you? Esau replied, I am your son, your firstborn son Esau. And you can just see how Isaac is shaken to the core when he starts to realize that the real Esau is now standing before him and that he had been duped into giving the blessing to someone other than Esau. And the emotion in verses 33 to 38 reaches a fever pitch. I just want to read it again. Then Isaac trembled very violently and said, 
Who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me, and I ate it all before you came, and I have blessed him? Yes, and he shall be blessed. As soon as Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me, even me also, O my father. But he said, Your brother came deceitfully, and he has taken away your blessing. Esau said, Is he not rightly named Jacob, the one who grabs by the heel? He was grabbing Esau by the heel when he came out of the womb second. Now it's like he's the cheater, supplanter. For he has cheated me these two times. He took away my birthright, and behold, now he has taken away my blessing. Then he said, Have you not reserved a blessing for me? Isaac answered and said to Esau, Behold, I have made him lord over you, and all his brothers I have given to him for servants, and with grain and wine I have sustained him. What then can I do for you, my son? Esau said to his father, Have you but one blessing, my father? Bless me, even me also, O my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. You can hear the desperation in Esau's words and tears. Esau is desperate for the blessing of his father. But there is no blessing that remains for Isaac to give. By the way, it is important when we read a passage like this not to speculate beyond what God has chosen to reveal. For example, we might ask, why did Isaac have only one blessing to give? I mean, Jacob had 12 sons and more than one son was blessed. But the only way to answer that question is to lean on God's sovereign determination to choose Jacob and not Esau. We might also wonder why a blessing that is obtained under false pretenses is valid. The fact of the matter is that Jacob was nothing less than a defrauder and swindler in his actions in verses 14 to 25. In some legal contexts, official business transacted fraudulently could presumably be annulled. Why shouldn't the deceit have effectively voided the transaction? But all we can say is that in this particular context, Isaac had the immediate understanding that the blessing he had spoken over Jacob, the deception notwithstanding, carried the force of reality and could not be altered or undone. Yes, and he shall be blessed. Verse 33. Moreover, we know that in the larger scriptural context, Jacob was the chosen son, and it was right and necessary for him to receive the blessing. Esau sought the blessing with repeated pleas and tears, but that proved to be a dead end. Hebrews chapter 12 reflects on this situation in light of Esau's wayward heart when it says in verses 16 and 17, See to it that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. As Genesis 27, verses 33 to 38 makes clear, Esau desired to inherit the blessing, and he sought it. He sought the blessing with tears. But his lack of fellowship with God, his immorality and unholiness, 
His worldliness and waywardness, his careless handling of his own birthright, and his foolish choice in wives, all these things showed that he was on the path to ruin, and for such things he was unable to repent. If he had found a place for repentance, he would have had access to blessing. Not the blessing bestowed on Jacob directly, but the blessing promised through Jacob to everyone who blesses Jacob. In terms of Genesis 27, verse 29, you can serve Jacob and bow down to him and still be blessed because everyone who blesses Jacob is blessed. In other words, you can be blessed in the blessed one. Or to put it another way, the blessing of God overflows from the blessed one to all who humbly and willingly place themselves under the blessed one. Now, this sounds rather underwhelming when you think about Jacob as the blessed one, but when we understand the overarching storyline that leads to Jesus, then we realize that we're getting a glimpse of the truth of the gospel, that those who gladly bow down to the Messiah and become faithful servants of the Messiah are blessed forever. As Psalm 2 says, blessed are all who take refuge in him. As for Esau, his lack of repentance sealed his, reject, sealed his rejection. He was rejected, as Hebrews 12, 17 says. And Isaac had to deliver the bad news. Behold, away from the fatness of the earth shall your dwelling be, and away from the dew of heaven on high. By your sword you shall live, and you shall serve your brother. But when you grow restless, you shall break his yoke from your neck. First, Esau will live away from abundant provision and plentiful sustenance. Second, he will live by the sword. He will have to use force in order to make it through this world. But remember the words of Jesus, all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Third, Esau will serve his brother. As I mentioned above, such service could be a good thing if the service was taken humbly and willingly and, and uh, if you take the master's gentle yoke upon you. But what is in view here is an unwilling and increasingly restless form of service that ultimately results in the cessation of relationship. It is not good to break his yoke from your neck when his yoke is your only opportunity to receive blessing. But in terms of political and military advantage in this present world, Esau's descendants would eventually break free from the power of Israel. And keep in mind that the words spoken to Esau apply not only to Esau, but to the nation that he fathered, Edom, just as the words spoken to Jacob apply not only to Jacob, but to the nation that Jacob fathered, Israel, and especially to the tribes of Joseph and Judah. I want you to take away one simple, profound, and glorious lesson from this passage. It's simply this. God accomplishes His perfect will through the imperfections of human beings. That's not an encouragement to indulge your imperfections. We don't need the encouragement, but it is, it is an encouragement to face honestly the fact that our imperfections are many. God worked through a dull and misguided Isaac, a scheming and underhanded Rebekah, 
and a lying and deceitful Jacob in order to fulfill his perfect will to pour out his blessing on Jacob and to bring blessing to the whole world through Jacob. I want to share a paragraph from the 1689 Baptist Confession of Faith. It, it presents a, a, a truth that the Bible presents over and over again that is really important for us to understand and internalize. Here's the paragraph. The almighty power, unsearchable wisdom, and infinite goodness of God are so thoroughly demonstrated in His providence that His sovereign plan includes even the first fall and every other sinful action, both of angels and humans. God's providence over sinful actions does not occur by simple permission. Instead, God most wisely and powerfully limits and in other ways arranges and governs sinful actions. Through a complex arrangement of methods, He governs sinful actions to accomplish His perfectly holy purposes. Yet He does this in such a way that the sinfulness of their acts arises only from the creatures and not from God. Because God is altogether holy and righteous, He can neither originate nor approve of sin. He can neither originate nor approve of sin, and yet He governs and orchestrates the sinful conduct of human beings in order to accomplish His perfectly holy purposes. Don't think for a single moment that God's perfect will is in jeopardy because of all the nonsense in this world. This present sinful world is characteristically dull and misguided, scheming and underhanded, lying and deceitful. What Isaac, Rebekah, and Jacob did in their worst moments, the world is always doing as a matter of course, and God is working through it to accomplish His purposes, to advance the gospel, to save sinners, to bless His people, to judge nations, and to bring the ungodly to ruin. The most remarkable instance of God accomplishing His perfect will through convoluted wickedness is what He accomplished at the cross. As the Christians prayed in Acts chapter 4, verses 27 and 28, for truly in this city, Jerusalem, there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. God's predetermined plan governed the sinful actions of the lawless men who nailed Jesus to the cross. And what they meant for evil, God meant for good. Jacob had been concerned about mocking his father and bringing a curse upon himself. At the cross, the whole world mocked the Son of God and should have brought a curse upon itself. And yet the Son of God, unstained by sin, with no deceit in His mouth, with no underhanded dealings, the Son of God took the curse upon Himself so that all, to turn, who, all who turn to Him and bless Him might be blessed in Him. What Jesus did, He didn't do by accident. He did it with eyes wide open and with a heart wide open that He might bring God's blessing to you even though you don't deserve it. The blessing stands. Human folly notwithstanding, 
for those who trust Jesus Christ, God's faithful Son, the only unflawed hero. And He is the one who keeps us singing to anticipate the final hymn we're about to sing. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would establish us in sound doctrine, in the rock-solid reliability of your purpose and providence and promises, a firm place to stand even though there's fickleness all around us and sometimes in us. And Father, we just pray that you would plant us upon the solid foundation of your grace and lead us in your ways. In Jesus' name, amen.